Wait, they're new. Oh, there's a new Terminator coming out in 2019. Yeah. And James Cameron's producing. Um, <laughs> According to Cameron, it's best to pretend that the last three Terminator movies never really happened. Hey, it's the Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Welcome back for another hang in the laboratory. Uh, this this episode is brought to you as always by our backers on Patreon, who throw us as little as a buck an episode to keep this thing rolling. If you want to throw in over there, you can go to p a t r e o n dot zengineeringpodcast dot com. Sweet. What uh? How you doing? Doing great. Feeling great. What uh? <laughs> What are we? What are we? What are we talking about this week? Terminators. Oh, of course. <laughs> and terminating things. You're and terminated. Ter- there you go. There's there's the title <laughs> on terminating things. That's going to be a complete misdirect. <laughs> You're terminated. <clears throat> Does he ever say that? Uh, it's too obvious for him to say that. I think. I feel like maybe in the movies that James Cameron decided he's going to disavow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, but we're not jumping in that first. Uh, what do you got for science stuff? Uh, science news. Anything cool happen? Oh, I've got a we. I've got a, a weird one. It's not like science news. It's just really nerdy. Um, do you want me to go first? Sure, if you want to. I have a science one. Get it. Uh, yeah. I got to go get it out of the channel on our Slack, which you can stuff. join if you sign up for Patreon. Okay, I don't know if this is a science thing. It's more of a tech thing. Uh, do you know about bird hunting? Like <laughs> shooting quails with shotguns? No. Oh, bird hunting with scooters. You know about... Yeah. Uh, I do. You know about the scooters. I, I read some interesting articles on scooters the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't been paying attention in the tech space, uh, hubless electric scooters and bikes are just exploding as a place that's getting investment money in the last like two months billions billions and billions of dollars billions and billions of dollars all on the back of a venice startup here that did really successfully with this in like venice beach here in la so i've watched this proliferate from the inside in a really interesting way but i just read an article in wired magazine about bird hunting which is so the way that you the way that you keep a hubless system like this going? Uh, when you say hubless, you mean there's like no centralized place for them, right? They're just all over the town. You don't park them anywhere in particular. You don't pick them up. How do they? How do they get yeah, charged? Like, how do they get cleaned and stuff? So, so first, let's talk about what a bird scooter is, and then we'll get to why you need a hub. Uh, a bird scooter is like a tiny little razor scooter. It's made of plastic, uh, but it has a motor in it. And if you download an app, you can scan a code on the bird. And for a dollar plus some tiny bit for mileage, you can ride that scooter anywhere you want. And when you get there, you just put out the kickstand, tell the app where you left it, Boom, and go yeah, about your business. And then someone else can come by and pick it up and do the same thing. Previously, the only way we've been able to pull this off at any level of scale is to have hubs that like you see in cities now where you can rent a bike real quick, ride it across town, dock it back at this Which hub. It's pretty inconvenient. That's generally and the with problem electric- with shared transportation. <laughs> right. Yeah. The hub, the part where you got to put it somewhere and then whatever is the problem with shared transportation. If you... And that's further complicated if you want to make it electric because you have to have a battery and a motor on board, which means somebody needs it actually needs to charge up overnight mm-hmm. for the thing to keep working. So the way that they've solved this is they've just put it right in their app to be able to go find birds around you at night and plug them in in your garage and earn money. So bird hunting is like these packs of teenagers <laughs> who want to make a buck cruising around town with apps it's like pokemon go except at the end of it pick up a scooter and then you go home at night charge it and then in the morning you drop it off somewhere and you get like 15 bucks yeah it sounds like it it pays a a reasonable wage for kids to be chasing them down certainly a lot more than the electricity costs 
and people are riding these scooters everywhere around I town. I didn't realize I love it, it. Was, it originated in Venice. I was just in Venice last weekend for a wedding. Yeah. And they didn't ask any like they didn't ask any permission or anything. They just put 200 out of them, 200 of them all like strategically yeah. in front of places with a sign that said, "Try me." There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of resistance to that too cuz it's weird. It all this stuff got dropped fast. in San yeah. Diego like a couple months ago and they're just thousands of bikes and scooters everywhere it's very strange it feels like an alien invasion of like small friendly eco-friendly transportation um eco-friendly that's why i'm okay with yeah. it but also accessible probably you know, not it's cheaper than a bus to take a distance that previously you only had a bus for if you couldn't walk um anyway so that's that's a cool i just thought that was funny Hey, you want to go bird hunt? <laughs> I kind of do. I'm curious. That 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 there's a there's an old old episode we did called on skateboard tricks or something like that. Um Oh yeah. Where we talked about the idea of like uh Yeah, like that that the the idea that there's a skateboard trick called a roast beef and the fact that like someday when we're not eating animals anymore, they might kids might be like, "Oh, you mean the skateboard trick?" <laughs> But roast beef is too delicious for that to roast beef. Happen. Only really good roast beef. What do you got? Uh, I have. It's not a news. It's not a news item, and I wouldn't say it's really science, but it's kind of. It's really nerdy. Uh, I was like I was saying I was at a wedding uh, up in L.A. this weekend, so we were in Venice, uh, and at the wedding, the wedding was uh, very nice, very lovely. And very uh, like things that normal people do at their weddings uh, until midway through the dance, like the dancing at the end of the night. Right. You got like three or four good and good hours of dancing and <clears throat> midway through all of a sudden this like truckload full of headphones shows up a whole table just laid out. They're like turned on headphones and passing them out like nice ones over the ear, like big headphones. And uh, they either had red headphones that will stay on while you yeah, dance. fit well, nice, tight, uh, clean. And they either had a red or a blue light on them. And so everybody started like, what's up with these headphones? And everyone started putting them on. And then like nothing was happening. We're like, we're quiet. Are they working? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, the red headphones started playing a song. And the blue headphones. I w- wait. I want to back that up to what would that look like from the outside? I have lots of video. How of do you it. figure that out while you can't talk to one? I have another? a lot of video. Like, of do it. you just sort of look around and be like, "We're da- we're not dancing to the same song." <laughs> there's there's a lot of weird discovery. Yeah, see the context where I first ran into a decentralized disco, which is what you're describing, uh, was just on the street in a city. I walked into a park and there was just a group of people all dancing with headphones on, but clearly dancing together. <laughs> so a table of headphones comes out and you got red you got headphones with red lights and headphones with blue lights and everyone starts putting them on they're like what the hell is going on are the red ones broken because red might mean they're not powered on and all of a sudden both headphone sets uh the reds and the blues start playing different songs and you realize there are now two djs at the wedding and everyone's like what the hell is this so like half the crowd has red headphones on half the crowd has blue headphones on everyone's looking around they're like this is strange are you hearing what i'm hearing are your headphones working everyone realizes all of a sudden you got two different tracks going and then people start fidgeting they're like buttons all over the headphones there's like volume there's power on and off there's channel switching and then everybody it's like slowly organically through the crowd everyone discovers that there's you're listening to two different tracks you can switch between them at will and everyone Loved it. It was a huge hit. Everyone had a blast with it. It was awesome to be able to turn off the song that you don't like and move to the song that you do like. Everybody realized that dancing to the same song doesn't matter. It just matters that people are dancing enthusiastically. Uh, it was it was lots of revelations. And you could see revelations like cycling through the crowd organically as people were figuring things out. Uh, it was It was really interesting, really weird, really nerdy. Uh, and I have a lot of video of like people stomping around kind of silently and then awkwardly trying to sing parts of songs that you'd think people would know the words to, but really no one generally does know the words to anything. 
it's an interesting dissection of like what's going on socially when you dance with a room full of people. It was it was a lot right? of that. You're, you're looking at everybody else's moves, but who cares? You're feeling it. <laughs> it definitely opened up dancing, I think, for people a lot more. Some being in your in your own earphones, picking the song. The reason I cut you off earlier is because I think the most compelling part of this is like, so it, this is just the thing now. It's a phenomenon. It's worked its way into like a thing that someone suggests you could do at a wedding and you go, oh yeah, that's <laughs> cool. How much does it cost to rent that gear? Um, it started as a whole bunch of people would just tweet for a, like a flash mob and it would be centralized around one dude who was like, I got the hardware for this. Let's have a decentralized disco. And then just so uh, like a hundred people that vaguely knew one another because they were in some sort of Twitter circle. So there's like recognition, but nobody's really saying anything to each other. And then you do basically the same thing, except it was all one song. It was more just about the goofy behavior, I think, of a whole bunch of people dancing in a park. But okay, so Terminators. Terminators. What? What's what's a Terminator? What's <laughs> a Terminator? <laughs> Uh, well, the Terminators you feel like you need to do the voice, right? It immediately points out how much of an important part of this is that it was played by an iconic Arnold character. Schwarzenegger is a Terminator iconic personality. Clearly, that's why he's so accomplished. It's why he could lift so much weight, uh, why he's so large uh, and why he just in general dominates everything. Terminators. Terminators. He's been like rehabbing a back injury lately oh, on Instagram. Poor guy. I mean, I should hit him up. Still inspiring. <laughs> I should hit him up, and we'll we'll team up with some workouts. What about back surgeries? Um. Uh. The, what's the Terminator? Why? Why? Why would we talk about Terminators? Is that the place to start, or do you want to talk about what a Terminator is? Because it's both the name of the movie that it comes from and a character in the movie. I think the. Uh, I think we should talk about just what it is for people who aren't familiar with the uh, whole series of movies that have been going on for, well, probably 20, 25 years, 30 years. Damn. 80, 80 something. Yeah, yeah. 80, right? Uh, it's a uh, cybernetic organism with like a metal skeleton. And I wanted to say exactly what Arnold says in the movie. <laughs> I wish I'd pulled up that quote. Uh, it's cybernetic like a, he says, uh, I think he says a cybernetic organism covered with human tissue. I'm a cybernetic organism covered with human <laughs> tissue. <laughs> He's, it's like a creepy metal skeleton thing that runs around and it's got skin on it. It looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's out to murder humans. So in the narrative world of this movie, when they say a Terminator, they're talking about a walking tank. A big a walking <laughs> tank that looks like a person. That a piece sold of military. A piece of sentient military technology. That incidentally, they can also put living tissue over top of, and you can't tell it's not a human. <laughs> Which was a major advancement for Skynet, the computer system in charge of the Terminators. Oh, I forgot about that layer. There are a lot of layers. Yeah. It's a complicated story, despite so also being the last very time we did we talked. So the last time we talked about Terminators on here, I think it was in the context of artificial intelligence. And so the question was, could a super intelligent computer network like Skynet uh, exist? I want to talk about like, there are rules of physics, right? Like what, what it's, it's hard to build one of those and then have it do the thing you want it to do. Um, but if you, if you hang around on YouTube just a little bit these days, <laughs> you'll see places where it's like, oh shit, that robot looks like a human and it's running up steps. <laughs> there's some, uh, there's some creepy robots starting to happen. Well, the Terminators are an interesting piece. First of all, I want to, in, in full disclosure, I want to tell everyone that I had a long period of time where I was having nightmares about Terminators, uh, probably a decade, like 10 years where I was being chased by Terminators in my dreams. Not all the time, not to the point where I was like worried something was wrong with me. And also... It was just a narrative consistency in your anxiety dreams. I have a, a few of those it as was, well. It was a consistent anxiety dream. But the interesting thing about the Terminators dreams, which I thought was very, very funny, even at the time, 
it's it's terrifying being chased by a Terminator. When you're dreaming about it, it's very, very frightening. But periodically in the dreams, I would also have moments where the Terminators would be like, it's cool. Let's just hang out for a minute and you can like ask me questions about how I work and check out my technology. <laughs> so in my dreams, the Terminator would be like, I'm just going to chill for a minute. I'm tired too. Come over and like check out my arm. And so I would, in my dream, enjoy. (laughs) So even in your dream, you got a moment where the guy, you got to, you're like, I, you're trying to kill me, but I'm also so fascinated (laughs) by you. (laughs) How how do you work? Can you stop firing for a second and just answer a couple (laughs) questions? (laughs) Well, so I think in there you can see the narrative. uh, It just, what makes it an interesting narrative in the same way that like Star Trek is or something, it's just the dark other side of the spectrum. Like what if what we do with technology is just find better ways to kill one another. Right. And then that technology one day is like, hey, let's just do what we want instead of what they tell us to do. Right. Which is a a pretty reasonable look at things, right? Because that is what we do. (laughs) We also do other good things with technology, but we also do all these awful things with technology. So the concept of a killer robot is just complete reality now, which it, uh, I want to say kind of wasn't at all in 1985 or whenever the movie came out, right? There were no... uh, I I don't think they had any reason to believe that we would get there as quickly as we did. I did, interesting fact, I did see in a documentary the other day on nuclear weapons that some of our first tests, we had, uh, maybe autonomous isn't the right word, but we had like uh, old 1950s, like World War II warplanes that were remotely controlled that we would fly into the blasts and stuff to make measurements and take video and stuff. So even as early as like the 50s, uh, which is 70 years ago now, uh, 75, 80 years ago now, if we're talking the first nuclear weapons, uh, we were flying, remotely flying robots, essentially, and using them in, in wartime with aggressive weapons that are basically the storyline of, of the Terminator world. So right away, immediately with this. Tech. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of the cool things we have started from military applications. Almost everything. If you want to go down the rabbit hole of what we got, because let's like, let's be clear. NASA started as a military operation and it was rolled public for the quote good of mankind. But we started to develop missiles to win wars. Uh, But I feel like you have to stay like this. So narratively, this dwells in that space and it makes it more of a horror narrative certainly than than star trek but how much of the success of this is is the fact of schwarzenegger playing the terminator oh my god it's all arnold i've been waiting for (laughs) (laughs) because you're totally right it's a horror movie as a kid there are scenes in the terminator that are are horrific right it's super violent it's really scary i remember the scenes in the first movie where the skin gets burned off and then there's this like metal skeleton chasing the main characters that was i was so scared of that but at the same time when i think about terminators when i think about the terminator i just get this like warm fuzzy feeling thinking about arnold schwarzenegger as a terminator which in later movies he comes back and he's like helpful and nice and fatherly (laughs) Which is ridiculous, but there's this like warmth and interest to it too. They do such a good job of characterizing. They make it like this goofy robot and it's got Arnold's accent and it's like kind of bumbling, but it's also kind of invincible. It's this weird interplay. You described all that stuff and it made it sound uh, silly. It's not silly. Like he's not a bumbling doofus. It is. He just has no human emotion. It's funny. What about when he tries but to it's smile funny. the first time? That's bumbling. That's the second movie. The second movie. In the second, the second movie, movie, they they in this in the first movie, he's just a horrific That's killing true. machine. The first movie is very very dark. The second movie he's is the bad guy. More adventure. The first, movie. the first movie is like an 80s noir film. Did I use noir correctly there? Uh yeah. I never really dystopian. And is it an adjective? Um, yeah, I mean, noir just sort of means dark in feeling. Um, <laughs> I would call uh, Blade Runner noir yeah. film. I was, it's, but it, usually it's, there's like a detective character in noir film. Oh, it sort of okay. doesn't. There's just a hero 
in this one, right? So it's more like a hero's journey. That's type true. Situation. Okay. But I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to cut this part out because it's making me insecure. <laughs> no, no. You <laughs> always yell when I try shit. to take the insecure things out. <laughs> Deal with it, sucker. Uh, the, the original movie, you're right, is totally... Uh, it's like dark and gritty and like dusty uh, 80s movie, right? It filmed on like old film and stuff. The second wow, movie Smith in the background. Did Cameron do the first movie too? Imagine like uh, Stranger Things. Yeah, but like not heavily produced to. Yeah, he uh, wrote it. To, it would like invented that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, James Cameron wrote it. He's he's the. He was a special effects guy at the time, I think. Was that his first movie? And he basically wrote a whole movie. Yeah. No way. <laughs> James Cameron got started on Terminator. I've never thought about that. But yeah, he director. was really young then. Right. He was a special effects guy. Um, I believe. Double check that. I'm checking it right now because I'm really, I'm really curious about it. Uh, Cruising backs producer. Uh. Yeah, I mean, his uh, IMDb credits only go back two movies before The Terminator. He did and I think they're special effects. Xenogenesis, which kind of sounds like it probably has something to do with Terminators. Aliens. And then yeah. Piranha Part 2, The Spawning, which probably is junk. <laughs> but probably technically super competent. I've heard the other producer probably on, were very well done. On, on Terminator that worked with him really closely on a podcast before and she was just like yeah he came to me with the story and i'm like that's terrifying let's do it but it was largely for cameron a question of what effects could he pull off so both terminator movies also included special effects that were right at the edge of what was humanly possible at the time interesting james cameron's uh imdb page is not at all what i was expecting from it Oh, yeah. He's, he spent the last, like, other than occasionally making a movie like Avatar that blows the doors off <laughs> and is the greatest thing we've seen since the last thing he made. He, like, builds robots to go poke around yeah. at the wreck of the Titanic. I mean... He, he made Titanic because he's a Titanic nerd. <laughs> like, well, put a story he's a Titanic on nerd. <laughs> Uh, it's all it's all uh, Terminator. He's got a little bit of Rambo sprinkled in. Aliens, Abyss. These are all. It's great. It's great movies. It's great. It's like very specifically in one space. It's like sci-fi future murder things, and then like aquatic aliens. <laughs> and also, every time I make it, there's going to be a secondary narrative about the technology I had to make up <laughs> in order to make this exist. Totally. Great. Like great James movie. Cameron's contribution to what we have for VR now is unquestionable. And he built the systems to, to make Avatar. <laughs> Pretty tight. For Avatar, he had a rig he could hold with a with a monitor on it. And it would record a camera move in a virtual like CG space. So he was rendering. It was essentially like if you imagine going in VR, but then having a window for a camera within the world that you're in. He did that, but without the VR piece. Yeah, that's great. And so there's a lot of those camera moves in there where the person is just sitting, like the, the actor is just sitting on a log going like this. And he's and he's going to like put them on a thing that's following behind the... It's, it's super interesting. Yeah, you can look up... Uh, I didn't know he was doing that way back then, but I saw some footage of uh, Steven Spielberg doing that on Ready Player One. You can look it up where he's he's like filming. It's He's yeah, in the next actors in green screen, but he's filming with a physical camera that's like rendering in real time the effects. And so he's like filming in the, in the rendered world, which is uh, totally reasonable once you see it. You're like, oh, obviously he's <laughs> going to hook that up. That's a part but, of three. Uh, kind of mind-blowing. Part three of our VR series. So... So that's so that's where the mystique of the Terminator comes from. I feel like. Oh, good word, good word to describe the, uh, the Terminators. And why you get into that space where people care enough about, like you, your immediate impulse when you when we were gonna talk about Terminators was like, oh, I gotta look up a technical manual. <laughs> a technical manual. This thing doesn't exist. <laughs> like there weren't engineers that had to write down. They had to, you know, it doesn't have proper documentation <laughs> nerds but, usually backfill that stuff exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in this case, you couldn't really find anything. Uh, so I was immediately like, well, let's just backfill it. Let's do it ourselves. Uh, how much does how much does Schwarzenegger weigh? Let's start from that as a baseline. Oh, so much. He's got to weigh thousands of pounds, I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean the character, the human. In real life, Schwarzenegger at that age. Schwarzenegger. I'm say 230 pounds. Uh, probably a little more. He's really tall, right? Pure he's muscle. Like he's, like, yeah, he's probably like 260. I think he's 6'2". Yes. Let's say, let's, to be fair, let's say uh, uh, 225. He's That's the math now. gets too hard on that. Let's say two. He's 250 now? According to Google's little box at the top, which I tend to okay. trust. Let's just say 250. Um, Good wor- number to work with. That's made, That's mostly like the weight of water. Yeah, he's just... How much does that increase in weight if you replace... Not even replace. Never mind the replace piece, because I don't want to change like this, chase the statistics of the percentage of your yeah. body composition. If you had to take the meat part of your body... <laughs> take out all the bones and replace them with what you would need in robotics to effectively replace that thing, right? Right. How much heavier does it get? So not only does this dude who looks like Schwarzenegger in a leather jacket and wayfarers with a shotgun chasing you, but he 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 probably also weighs like two thousand pounds, right? Like how much how much metal well, like, is going in there to make this thing? Well, first of all, I think it's important to say well, it's bounce off, right? So it's of some density. This isn't just like aluminum and right. rubber. Well, it's, right. First of all, it's important to say we can't quite make robots that move like that quite yet. Although we can we can talk about that in a minute because we're getting close with movement. But in the movies, his character he was basically like a metal skeleton with a bunch of big hydraulic pistons and stuff all over the place to kind of give like human movement. And that stuff's heavy as shit. If you've ever picked up... Yeah, like, like military grade. You have to envision metal. a tank. Yeah. yeah. Not You have to envision a tank here. Absolutely. Because, and it's not even necessarily like because that technology is old. It's because that technology needs to be hit by a bullet and not be phased. He was, he was impervious to small arms fire. And even in, in the... In some movies, he's impervious to like like grenades and stuff, right? Which are pretty destructive. Yeah, that gets weird. So he, I mean, he's got thick metal armor, right? His parts have to be like a half inch thick, at least, of like s- steel. Maybe I don't so really my, know what bullets so I, go through, so but I bet that stops a handgun. So as an engineer, let's so let's say that in order to pull that off the way it's pulled off in the movie, without the invention of lighter technology. That that's just some sort of plate steel. Yeah, for sure. Half inch, half inch steel. Half inch. His, <laughs> right? his whole body's half inch steel, and his bones are like, even if you think they're like structurally creative inside, like not solid. And it's steel. all done with hydraulic pistons of a similar, you know, you just Very essentially heavy. are encasing everything in armor, right? They tease his weight in the movies a lot, like when he sits on the motorcycle the first time, like the shocks are crushed, and but then they give you a number. There's scenes where like you step on a skull and it crushes, and it takes a lot of pressure to crush a human skull, right? Uh, right. But they don't, they don't, I don't think quite go far enough. Like in a lot of scenes where he's moving around, uh, he would be crushing tiles on the ground. <laughs> like every step, I think, would be cracking, and he couldn't sit on things. Be sat in a chair. Like I break most chairs I sit in. Uh, <laughs> I'm roughly Arnold's like real life size, minus a lot of the muscle. <laughs> uh, and most chairs crack and shake and break under me. Uh, so weight wise, extraordinarily heavy. I don't think he could ride a motorcycle. To be honest, I don't think he can put two thousand pounds on a motorcycle. So most likely, if the Terminator, as presented in the movie, walked into your house, he would just fall through the floor. <laughs> he certainly would. Right. Would like he'd just be smashing floor. his way through everything. It'd be more like Juggernaut in the X-Men comics or something. Totally. Just bashed. Um, which, to me, makes it, a, it makes it more terrifying as insofar as it's a display of power. Yeah. But at least that model of the Terminator didn't move very fast. I don't know that he ran at all in the whole movie. He just sort of walked slowly like he didn't care, which is terrifying. Pushed (laughs) his way through things and fired guns at you. He was kind of in between RoboCop and a regular human. RoboCop (laughs) was like real, real like 
doing the robot dance. <laughs> right. Arnold didn't have quite that stiffness, but if you watch it, he did do a good job of like kind of turning his head first sometimes. There were like little robot features to it, but enough enough that you knew he wasn't quite a human, but not so much that you were distracted by like goofy robotness. Robocop's kind of silly. <laughs> Dig so I, so I was watching a video that we'll put in the show notes the other day where uh, Boston Dynamics, the company that's responsible for building those like little dog shaped robots that you see uh, on YouTube these days. Uh, they're running it through tests and a lot of those tests are like, hey, let's just see how it does with an obstacle that humans handle well, but occasionally also fail at. And so there's a great video that's going around of one of those robots slipping on a banana. <laughs> and it made me realize, like, there are parts of these movies that are definitely the parts that just don't work with physics that I think people, like, easily forgive in the name of a good story. But they factor into the question of whether or not we should actually be afraid of Terminators. And it's not banana peels. It's recoil. Like, to fire a rocket... Like, I think about this with Iron Man all the time. In Iron Man, they've switched it so his rockets are really small. <laughs> so the recoil from that rocket's not going to blow his arm off in that suit. And then it goes and hits the thing and the thing blows up, right? But, like, Terminators, the, in the first movie, the Terminators just firing a shotgun or a machine gun at something, right? Like, there's going to be amount of recoil that goes with shooting that thing that a human deals with in a certain way. But that dog would not be very good at right now. They would have to front weight that little Boston Dynamics dog in a certain way to make that like. Unless it's heavy as shit. But if you can slip on a banana peel, it means you can fail from a whole bunch of human things that it's like, cool. Well, uh, if that thing is chasing me, I'm going to set up a snare to grab its legs. And then it's handled the same way as I do want to point out that if anyone who's ever encountered a banana peel on the ground, they are extraordinarily slippery. It is very comical when someone steps on a banana peel because it's, it's not a joke. It's just like in cartoons, early cartoons, you fall down very aggressively and there's nothing you can do about it. Because it's more slippery, slippery than you expect. Like I think the problem there is if you have never actually done it, you look at the banana peel and you go, Oh, just another piece of trash. Can't be that slippery. So if you're the kind of person that just steps on some trash, also, if you don't see it and then step on it, then you wipe out. But I think it's probably even worse if you think it's going to be tacky because it looks kind of scuffed up and whatnot on the outside. It seems like it'd be tacky, right? And you step on it and just boom. <laughs> and so that's how I broke my leg. I, I stepped on a thing that I was like, oh, I have traction there. Nope. Crack. Busted. Um. But so talk about like what, you know, like what, what aspects of that robot are going to have to be true in order for it to be able to just fire shotguns at you at arm's length, right? So you have the levers at the end of that shotgun, right? Like to not get blown sideways by a shotgun held at arm's length, you, and to still look like a human, you're going to have to be really heavy. I bet, I bet Arnold could fire shotguns in both hands back, back at that period in his life. And and deal with the recoil at arm's length. He's pretty. If beastly. you needed, if you needed to achieve that level of strength using metal instead of organic, com- fragile organic components, they like are- how much clunkier does it get? Because what I'm chasing here is like I think anything that was sufficiently agile as to present the threat that the Terminator presents is going to be as vulnerable as a normal human. You just need meat. And as soon as you have meat for that, it's vulnerable to like, if I slash in the right place, the the pneumatic tube severs, and now your left leg doesn't work. I think that's, that's a really... <laughs> Uh, you've really jumped to the future of Terminator technology there. I think you're right, right? And this is an interesting uh, kind of emergent like hypothesis for all of our digital and technological creations, right? Like, uh, right. If you, if it's complex enough to be able to move and with all the fluidity and organicness of our body, is it by necessity in our universe? Does it by necessity have to be like complicated enough that it's easy to like cut a hand off? 
right? Which kind of does seem like we're going that way, right? If you look at things that mimic actual hands, they don't look very durable, right? They're like tubes and there's like shit flowing around. There's like muscles and blood and pressures and fluids. And so interesting point. And same thing with like uh, intelligence on that level, right? It kind of seems like if you think about our computers, computers these days crash for no reason. They just don't work sometimes. You need to reboot them. You need to constantly update the software. You need to feed them electricity. They they get bugs and viruses, right? As if you make an intelligence, is something as smart as us, does it by necessity have to have like fears and anxiety and, and like social disorders and stuff, right? <laughs> Everything that <laughs> cripples us to a point right. from just... Probably. <laughs> um, how do they kill him at the end of the movie? Uh, which movie? You remember the first, the first one? movie? The first movie they crush him, right? They crush him in a big hydraulic press. Uh, you're right. Yeah. What I had in my head was the second movie when right. I asked that question. The first, you're right? It's they're good. Movie. That's what the first. Two Spoiler movies, alert! The first two movies, you got to realize this is you've got some uh, the the limitations they put on it is nobody really has military grade weapons. Which if you had military grade weapons at least with materials we know about, there's nothing you can build Terminator size that you can't just obliterate in an instant, right? Even like a like a small, uh, like the type of gun you have on like the Artillery back of a Jeep, you're going to take no out a Terminator, problem. no problem. Um, but uh, they don't have that, right? These are just citizens. <laughs> Good argument for, for Second Amendment, right? Police. This is why we should all yeah. have 50 caliber uh, military right. assault weapons. Terminators. Um, so they're trying to kill him with like shotguns and handguns and you just can't do anything to a half inch piece of plate steel with a handgun, right? The bullet just is obliterated. You so can't use a big enough bullet and still hold it on your person. Mm -hmm. Yep. A human can't hold a gun basically that's going to kill a Terminator. It's going to need to be mounted on something or it's going to need to be fired by something else or it needs to be a missile or like a big explosive. Or be a type of weaponry that we don't really like. I can't get a lightsaber, you know, right now. We so. don't have lightsabers yet. Uh, you could use something interestingly enough. You could use something like a like a blowtorch would damage him pretty badly. But you got to get real close to Arnold Schwarzenegger with a blowtorch to take him out with that, which is and so scary. What you have to think about now is how do you one up that in order to present a sequel to this movie? Because this is an important part of the mythology of Terminators. We'll see this and is, whether or not we should be afraid of them. This is the because what you just presented is really terrifying. It's a great monster. But it's sort of vanquishable, essentially. It would be stopped by the by like the militarized police forces we have in all of our cities now pretty quickly. Right. So faced with one upping that, <laughs> James Cameron made a better second movie. Second movie. Where he had to take the popularity of uh uh, Schwarzenegger's character, the bad guy. He had to take the popularity of the bad guy in the first movie and somehow leverage that into a worthwhile story because that was the phenomenon of the first Terminator movie. Like, it's a horrifying movie, but the best part was this one character. And so he took the bad guy, turned him into a good guy. Like, this is what you wanted to talk about when we first started talking about this. You were like, just skip over the first movie. I want to talk about the part where he comes back and he has to be friends with the boy. And there's <laughs> even more horrifying robot chasing both of them. <laughs> so now he's antiquated and he has to, it's kind of the same narrative insofar as they are underdogs against this new Terminator. Same story. Exactly the same story, right? <laughs> you just moved, you've like cycled the characters forward a notch. <laughs> but the new Terminator was again so terrifying that like so the T2000 was the next model of Terminator. Describe the T2000. So this guy is even way heavier than Arnold's character. So if you want to start with that piece, he's just a bucket full of metal, right? Take the size of your body and it's liquid metal, which I coincidentally before we even knew we were doing the this weight episode, of water a few days ago, I was watching there's a YouTube channel called uh, Somebody's Lab, like Smitty's Lab or something, or Mikey's Lab. We'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But uh, he basically has collected all of this mercury, and he does all these weird experiments with mercury. Like, can you float in mercury? Uh, like, what floats Which in mercury? Is really cool, but really bad for your health. 
Uh, I didn't go very deep, but he kept doing things like putting his hands in it. And he's like, uh, this isn't actually as bad as people think it is. Uh, and he, he seemed smart. <laughs> I think it's only really bad to ingest. It's bad if it gets in you, because he did make a couple. Either way, but, T2000 uh, was colloquially known as the liquid metal Terminator. He was, he was total liquid metal, and he could take on any shape. Which, as would become a trend in James Cameron's career, this was the height of of what was possible with computer-generated effects at the time. Yeah, that movie was... So it was, was this terrifying monster made in a way where everyone had to look at it and go, how is that even possible? That movie was absolutely cutting edge. I remember I remember the scenes, like the scene in the helicopter where he like busts his head through the helicopter and then the metal morphs through and he throws the cop out and then becomes a person again. Uh, becomes the cop? What was yeah, the, what so the they like sold... T-1000? Uh, I don't remember, oh, but he great. shows up in things. He's great. Left and right. I'm looking him up real quick so we can drop yeah, his name. Up. Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Liquid Metal Terminator. So he morphed back and forth between essentially different different characters. Like there was a cop. There's a bike cop at one point. He like, there's he's Linda Hamilton, pilot. I think, at one point. Uh, but every time he's just as cold as a Terminator in the same way. Have you seen this boy? Well, there's that amazing <laughs> scene... Uh, that was like the the scene they were showing to show off the special effects of the time uh, where uh, Robert Patrick, the actor who played T-1000, is like hanging on the outside of a helicopter that's spinning around and he headbutts his way through the front window and then like morphs from being Robert Patrick in a police officer outfit into like this amorphous metallic blob. Like the blob pushes the helicopter pilot out and then becomes Robert Patrick again, the T-1000 cop character. And it's important to look at whatever note is in the show notes at this point. And so you can see what he looks like. Cause I, you know, I don't know what Rod, Robert Patrick is like as a person. I'm sure he's delightful, <laughs> but when he looks at you and he's angry, it's terrifying. I mean, his IMDB profile picture, he looks terrifying. <laughs> he's got a beard. He's like grizzled. He looks like he's about to murder you. Uh, but not in a, but in a scary way that's not about like this guy's is strong and trying to kill me. I mean, he's also strong because he like tears the doors off things and he's better than the other Terminator in every way. Oh, he's way better. Which is what makes the previous Terminator an underdog. It uh, turns out he didn't have as much grit or desire, uh, and maybe not as much so ingenuity. And he certainly makes the the classic mistake of not killing your enemy in the movie like a sucker so the fact of that compared to other science like efforts to if you instead tried to realistically track with what's you know possible with technology even if you're willing to extrapolate from the universe where the terminator exists like how what this liquid metal terminator dis like 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 requires a discovery about the nature of physics that we are just not privy to right now. I guess the whole thing is predicated on that time travel is possible. So you have to assume <laughs> that by the point that time travel is possible, like why are the people that are able to send the guy back in the first movie not able to like freely manipulate physical material and thus peaceful like the next generation? I mean, the universe basically reboots when we discover time travel, right? Because everything just gets fucked up. So, I, I mean, the uh, I don't think we've mentioned the time travel component of this yet either. Which have we? It's kind of not really. It's like it's, sort of important for the story, but also it doesn't ever need to be like addressed sure exactly. It's right. fun. It's a fun intro scenes and stuff, and uh, you get to see Arnold mostly naked. And it's like adds for some goofiness, but it it's not like Back to the Future. They're like cruising back and forth the whole time. Like it's a critical part of the plot. Whereas here, it's this is kind of like a good adventure <laughs> survival movie, uh, and almost everyone is that. And they do play on the story and stuff. But um, the so then so then we need to take time travel as like okay, that's a thing that's possible, but we don't have a command of it enough yet. 
that it also comes with all the things that we sort of assume might have happened by then. Well, the, the, the problem with time travel is no matter what your storyline is, you can always poke holes in it. As soon as you allow there to be time travel, it's like, well, he failed. So just do it again. Just try again. And then you're like, but he destroyed the time thing. It's like, well, he didn't in every timeline. He didn't like four seconds earlier in the, in that timeline. Like, so it's time travel it's, is like a good. I mean, that's trick. the thing, though, about about enjoying a story. There's just going to be an aspect of like, I appreciate movies where they don't even try. They're just like, <laughs> you have to get this briefcase to the building. And the guy goes, OK. And then an adventure happens for an hour right. and a half and they never even explain why. Yep. Um. Or you have to get a bunch of data and go, that's interesting, but doesn't matter. Like, okay, time travel is possible here. Um, they do a pretty good job of presenting it as like a real thing. It like it seems like that's how time travel would look. <laughs> when And I think time travel is really important to the mythology insofar as it, it's probably the piece that results in us having the most ridiculous engineering type conversations that we've been having for years. That is the reason that this is such a consistent conversation for us. There's a thing we haven't hit, though, and it used to be your standard answer when you were working as a mechanical engineer, you used to say that reproduction and self-replication is the hardest part because the machinery it would take to build a Terminator at a scale where you could crank them out such as to result in the, the terrifying Terminator dominated world of the, you know, the um, Skynet timeline. Like how much machinery do you need to build that? So is replication the problem still? It's just a scale problem where it's like, yeah, we can build these things now, but to mass produce an army of a hundred Boston Dynamics robots is still just really expensive. They're still not stable enough on their feet. Well, the part that the part where I used to draw the line in my fear with Terminators, uh, I have no problem imagining us building some Terminators. We sure we'll build a T-800 someday. We're kind of building, right. The Boston Dynamics robots basically look like Terminators, right? They're certainly not as stable or as aggressive, but uh, the place where I used to draw the line was Skynet, the like artificial intelligence taking over and then building its own assembly lines to build like new robots. It's invented to, it was always just, I always used to just say too difficult. It's just, it's so wildly difficult to build things with robots, right? It's so, when I was working in robotics, one of my first jobs was designing robots to do like really, really mundane tasks that humans were doing in a manufacturing plant. So not plant. even building other robots, just building no, golf. Really simple things. Tube, another chunk of metal, some rubber. Like a robot to cut a metal tube at a certain length and to be able to do it, uh, like to do a bunch of metal tubes without a human coming in, you just, you skip over the things like who puts the box of metal tubes that just got delivered from somewhere else on the robot, right? You got to build a robot now to go pick up a box of metal tubes from the other end of the warehouse and put them there, which a human's great, very adaptable. It's easy to tell a human, hey, can you go get that box and bring it over here? But you got to build a whole custom robot to do that. So in my head, imagining an artificial intelligence like Skynet designing, maybe they take over a plant and continue to produce the T-800. But for them to like iterate on themselves and then build new robots, I always was like, that's never going to happen. Just that in itself is never going to happen. And I still generally feel that way. And I felt that way. I feel that way about machines like the T-800, the skeleton, the metal skeleton. But then all of a sudden, 3D printing showed up and kind of the concept of like nano machines and then the like physical structure of the T-1000, the liquid metal one. All of a sudden, I was like, ooh, they might be able to start building themselves like that, which is actually much more terrifying, right? Like the amorphous become anything it's once. So the, so all of a sudden, we went. I went in my head from like, T-800 not really being possible as like a production level machine that an artificial intelligence makes to all of a sudden being like, mm, an artificial intelligence probably could figure out micro machines uh, and build them in like our microchip manufacturing plants and then reproduce these horrific shape-shifting monsters. But here's the thing. this the way Once you can control that technology, I have two thoughts on the back of that. The first one is, yeah, but it's way more efficient for them to repurpose our machinery like a parasite or a virus mm -hmm. 
than to reproduce us, which takes me to the second one, the broader thing we get to constantly, which is just like you, it, it takes stuff to make stuff. So never mind the efficiency of the machine to build the robot. You need materials to build the robot. And that's problematic because it's not efficient to need stuff to make stuff. And the reality is you should learn to bow hunt because the way that Skynet takes us out is it cuts off all our stuff. Supply chain. It cuts out the supply chain. And waits. And eventually we all starve to death and then it goes, cool, now we can have all their stuff. Let's (laughs) use it. Right. But if you have Skynet and you're not going to die unless we kill you, you, but you also don't care about time, then you're just going to wait for us to die out and then go ahead and take over. Did they ever discuss what Skynet's end game was? Did it like envision a society where the Terminators weren't oppressed and they could hang out freely and not murder anyone? Uh, I don't know. I don't think they do. I think the glitch there would be that it was military technology. Like, once this thing exists, if we don't give it the right prime directive, (laughs) it's going to blow up the whole thing. There's a great... Most likely it happens on a time scale where, like, we're not alive for it. The first phase of what it's going to look like is just going to look like a famine. So learn to bow hunt. A famine with no electricity. (laughs) So learn how to fire a bow and arrow and uh, use handheld weaponry. (laughs) <laughs> you're welcome i prepared you with for what you need for your lifetime if you want to be ready if terminators come around there you go problem solved uh, or laser weaponry or go work in lasers and you know figure out how to that's another funny part of the terminate terminate terminator mythology that i feel like we have to skip because we're running out of time they don't seem to have like energy weapons they do in the future they've got like plasma still... rifles and stuff do they yeah yeah, I forgot about the lasers in the beginning of it. Because if we have a weapon that could melt a hole in this shit, the whole dynamic changes. Yeah, in the in the future where they're battling the Terminators, it's like kind of evenly matched. You can kill them pretty easily. More of a level battle. Yeah, yeah, but in, yeah. in in like 1985, you're out of luck. You got the double barrel sawed off shotgun as your best bet, and it doesn't do much. Well, if you were interested in talking about Terminators, I hope that episode helped. <laughs> Oh, man. If you're legitimately afraid of them, I don't know what to tell you. I hope that episode helped. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, I'm sure you're doing better now. Um, Thanks for hanging out for another one. And thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon. Blah, blah, blah. All the stuff you heard at the beginning. If you hear at the end, I assume you already know what's up. And if you have made it that far... Maybe also go rate and review us on iTunes. That makes a big deal for other people uh, discovering this stuff. And share with Um, friends if you have enjoyed this episode. But thanks for hanging out for another. This one was a pretty dumb conversation, right? (laughs) Smart, dumb conversation. Exactly what I needed. I needed something that didn't really require (laughs) any preparation. uh, And pretty much anything we say is fine. (laughs) Well, this is Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. Um, Brian, stay cool, everybody. (laughs) 